Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Welcome back to another episode of Out of Line. Hi, Candice. Hi, Annie. It's been a while since it's been just the two of us, and mm-hmm. we just wrapped up a series on the whole back to school transition season, which um, I think for a lot of parents and families and young people, we're still processing, um, especially those in conventional school settings that have a lot on their shoulders and a major pivot between what summer can look like in their homes or in their places away from school back to school. We saw lots of uh, influencers and Instagrammers posting about this idea of the transition of back to school, many focusing on the um, term that has kind of become almost a buzzword about after school restraint collapse. And um, one post in particular that we saw by um, somebody who has over 500,000 followers was all about how tough this transition can be. And the point of the post was to help parents really support their kids through this transition. Totally get it, right? We have to support our kids. But I think for you and I, it brought up a feeling of, but why? (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, when you first start reading it, I was really happy because I was like, oh, yes, like this person's calling this out and making, you know, not normalizing the back to school, um, what do we call it, restraint collapse. But then as you go on in the post, you see that she is actually normalizing it and just like saying, oh, give them a bubble bath. Don't don't schedule anything else at night. And it's just, it doesn't need to be normalized. And so all these people, I just had so many friends that are sharing it. And, you know, I understand a lot of people still have to send their kids to traditional schools, but we still, it's not required that kids are totally, as she puts it, wasted and absolutely cooked by the end of the day. (laughs) Okay, so this post, um, we'll just give it away because we're not going to offend her 500. Well, we will offend her 500 <laughs> followers, but it's Jen Hatmaker and and she has a lot of good things and she's very funny. And there are a lot of people, especially in West Michigan, who love Jen Hatmaker. So this is not an anti-Jen Hatmaker post. <laughs> this is not. This is just questioning, like, are we all normalizing it too much by just accepting that it's part of the back to school transition and does it have to be? And so you mentioned in early on in the post, she talks about the first week of school is a gauntlet. I wonder how kids survive. So there's obviously some empathy. There's obviously some questioning of whether or not this is normal. And she, you know, explains it, right. They're expected to sit in chairs all day. They have to pay attention. They have to learn new rules. They have to figure out the social hierarchy. They have to be quiet, sit still, keep at it for seven to eight hours a day with maybe a few 10 to 20 minute breaks in between. But yeah, they're wasted. And 
they say things like, I hate school and I hate my teacher, which may not be true, but it might be how they're feeling in the, those first few days. So it is true for them on some level, right? Um, maybe their teacher does, is mean. <laughs> maybe their teacher is mean. <laughs> they are wild, crazed animals, she says um, at one point, which is hard to read about kids. Mm-hmm. Um and and I think her point is like, as the parent, don't take it personally, kind of like prepare yourself. They're going to be exhausted. They're going to, I remember when my oldest started kindergarten and he's a kid who's been in childcare most of his life, like long days weren't new to him, but the long days of what was happening in kindergarten was very new to him and sitting in a chair and needing to use a hand symbol <laughs> signal to, um, show that he had to go to the bathroom and when he wasn't seen and he's a compliant kid and he started having accidents again for the first time in three or four years like is this normal like can he just go to the bathroom and when I told him to do that he didn't like that because he's a rule (laughs) but he would come home I mean we didn't even go home we would just sit in the schoolyard I'd bring a blanket we'd go beyond the playground to just a part by the trees I'd bring a couple books I'd bring some snacks And he was the meanest he's ever been to me in his whole life. And I just remember being like, it was one of the first inklings of like, is this worth it? Is this what we're Mm -hmm. supposed to be doing to our children and talking to the teacher about it and just like how much they have to contain within themselves and in their bodies all day. Like we're talking Mm -hmm. and at this school, like you could start at four, you could start at five, you could start at six. There's this wide range of ages and abilities and body sizes in kindergarten. And um, we're asking all of them to just sit still and listen and do things that are super unnatural to that developmental stage in life. Um, Yeah. And I think if we all just kind of stop for a second and like you said like intuitively you knew right like is this what's right for my child and just like stopping and reflecting on that like is this what's right for kids and it's not even the kids who somewhat like can handle it and it's not even you know parents and educators like stepping back for a second and looking at what can we start to do differently yeah yeah one of the comments on that post um, was, it says, one of my favorite stories from a fellow teacher is when one of her kindergartners, true babies, slid out of his seat onto the floor around mid-morning and exclaimed with all the exasperation he could muster, Ugh, who signed me up for this? <laughs> Who's signing him up for this, <laughs> right? We are, and we are willingly and knowingly. Um, You know, at the time when my oldest went to kindergarten and I explained to the teacher it was happening, I mean, she was shocked after school that that after school restraint collapse looked like that because he was really um, well behaved and controlled in her setting. So she was just kind of like, wow, but it took every ounce of his being every and every part of him to stay that controlled. So then it was like. And I'm sure there probably was a lot of anger towards me because I was the one that signed him up for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, and in, in the post, she kind of talks about like using, 
using self-care to help the kids, right? So give them a bubble bath, turn the lights low. And, you know, there's all this pushback coming from educators about that big self-care movement. Like educators don't want self-care, right? They want higher pay and more respect and less meetings. And it's the same for kids. Like we can't just start to push self-care onto kids and say like, well, sure, like you had a bad day and we're pushed beyond anything that you've ever been expected to do and we're probably treated with less respect than you've ever had but let's take a bubble bath (laughs) Mm. yeah I mean and it's it's not obviously it's not just kindergarten it probably is most intense in those early years because Mm -hmm. it's totally new to them their bodies their nervous systems but um it goes all the way up through high school even and and I think um, the post before that from Jen Hatmaker said, teachers, we're sorry we, for how we parented this summer and talking about how it was almost like living in a frat house, which, you know, is that problematic? I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't have teenage boys. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So now I'm just looking at all of these um the pictures in the comments are all people taking pictures of their kids passed out on the couches and I'm oh my gosh like this girl's passed out on the stairs and the car (laughs) like these poor kids Mm -hmm. and then you're just like posted online like it's almost like I don't know it's it's being normalized but people like people are like laughing you know like it's and it's not funny not funny and I think like this is one of those situations we laugh because we don't know what else to do um but there are options for things to do and I think the more that we can push back and say this is not normal that kindergarten shouldn't be the new second grade like um there should it should be mostly play it should be mostly child-led I mean we tend to focus on unschooling because that's more of what we're engaged in now. But we also know that that's very, very real that, that families need school and they need it often for the childcare, which is not what something, something that teachers always like to hear, but um, it, it can look different and we can respect kids and we can teach them self-care, but we can also teach them autonomy and, that they have voice and that they have consent and that they don't, I mean, I, this is not work, right? Like this is not their, their children. I get it that like, we all experience it at times. Like it's not after school restraint collapse, it's after work mm-hmm. restraint collapse, or sometimes, you know, we attended a networking event earlier this week. I felt like I came home and had total restraint. Collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, like we all have these times, right. Where we're required to hold in our emotions or hold in ourselves in a different level of control, but I'm also an adult and I've had a chance for my brain to develop. I, you know, we're talking about brains that are still developing in children. Um, And, and often also these kids are having some sort of reward or punishment system throughout the day. So there's also this like very real, like feeling of pressure put on them from the start. Um, You know, in the early grades, it's like, points or treats or 
tickets or whatever else you know more about this than I do um in the older grades it's it actually probably lacks the rewards and it's more about the discipline so you get demerits you get detentions you get whatever um but it's all sending them messages that they're good or bad right it's it's going back into a binary of you're good or you're bad and here's why and for kids who like really like we have so many kids especially in the early grades of elementary school who have not yet been diagnosed with maybe neurodiversities or other um things that that are very real brain development or body development challenges and they're have the same requirements as all of their classmates and they're just punished for being who they are because they are not able to sit still or they're not able to stop wiggling or they're not able to have that impulse control. Um, and honestly, as a teacher, it really just kind of makes your job harder because they're like asking for something that's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I was kind of thinking about like, as a former kindergarten teacher, like, what did I do? Or like, what did I do to help the kids? Because even now I think like, what, what can teachers do? Because it's really the system and the structure of the system. The days are too long. The classes are too big. There's too much required of kids. There's too much required of teachers. And I can think like, I definitely did more recess at the beginning. We definitely moved a lot more. I didn't really require anything the first like month because or require anything for myself about like as far as lessons and stuff like we just they did a lot of coloring they (laughs) we did a rest time maybe we watched a lot of like you know educational youtube shows but it was for the purpose of like not draining the kids you know Mm -hmm. as long as those videos were educational i'm sure it was i threw that out (laughs) (laughs) educational shows (laughs) Yeah. Well, and we talked as we were kind of getting ready for this, we talked about the systems that teachers do put in place to help them with this stuff and these transitions. And, and because so many teachers, not all, but so many teachers are being asked to do something that is quite impossible. And they have 25 to 30 kids in a classroom, which I know mm-hmm. sometimes people think we're being dramatic when we say that, but it, it's true. They're, um, so many classrooms with, I mean, even 20 personalities, which is pretty unheard of. Um, I used to live in the state of Wyoming. They have a state law. I think that caps the class size at 16, but it never happened. Even with that law, it would be around 20. That's a lot of personalities. Like I said, there's a huge age range these days. So teachers are relying on these like programs and systems and they have to teach the classroom rules and, um, one one teacher that I follow on Teachergram uh, was posting about her program and the rules and how before she does anything else, it's not about school rules. It's not about she teaches these rules and the rules are follow directions quickly, uh, things like that. Make smart choices, make our dear team stronger, which luckily had been changed from make our dear teacher happy, I think was the original version of that. Um, but these are also programs that refer to kids as uh, beloved rascals, <laughs> like <laughs> things that like, yeah, I guess it's a term of endearment. I get where they're coming from, but like to normalize that we use words like rascals and rugrats talking about 
children, human beings who have, you know, a right to be respected by the adults who are caring for them. I think especially in early elementary, we just have to remember it's care first, educate second. Um, we have to give these kids care and that like to expect children to learn self-care, like you said, like, we're like, okay, go take a bubble bath and recover. <laughs> we have to show them the community care that we care for you. So you should care mm-hmm. for yourself too, or, we, or that you can care for yourself too. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a lot of what's missing in schools is the community care, even for the staff and teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially almost for the staff and teachers. Um, Yeah. Of those kinds of systems, what worked for you in the classroom and what would you be like horrified to just tell us, would you be horrified to admit right here on the public airwaves, Candace? <laughs> oh, I did it all. I had the best classroom management because I was so mean. <laughs> no, my actually, I did have really good classroom management. But yeah, I used that system. What was that called? Mm-hmm. I forget what it was called. Whole brain teaching. I used that. And the kids, like, you tell, you say the rules every morning and it's like, follow directions quickly. And then the kids respond like, follow directions quickly. (laughs) (laughs) This is the episode we're going to get sued for. (laughs) Yes. And then I used um, a clip chart, but I was so nice with my clip chart because my kids never, you know, so, okay. So anybody who doesn't know what a clip chart is, it's like started out originally as red yellow green like obviously the stoplight system and if you're on red like you're bad (laughs) you're doing bad things and if you're on green like you're good and you're doing good things but I added like all these colors on top of green and so I would move the kids up and it was always positive you know like everybody ended up on like the top color at the end of the day and we all clapped for each other but still if you think about it like it's still a reward system. And if everybody didn't end up at the top, like there's still some kids who are on green that were on another color that's higher. So it's still like, they're still getting something taken away or they're still seeing that they didn't get as many rewards as another child. Well, Um, and they're having their behaviors analyzed by someone outside of them. And mm -hmm. Again, like behavior isn't always a choice. And that's something that I think so many adults, whether they're teachers or not, forget behavior is not always a choice. Um, Yeah. And it's the way that children communicate. So yeah, there, there are going to be behaviors because children don't have power in schools and they don't have control over anything. So they're going to communicate that they're not happy with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it always comes back to that power hierarchy and the fact that kids have very little power or agency over their lives or their selves um, is just amazing and really hard. Yeah. And so that's why we see so many behaviors. And that's the sad part is that you know, we see kids now, there's a lot of teachers and staff, you know, posting, complaining about, complaining about kids destroying classrooms and the violence going on. And mm-hmm. it really is partially because of the, 
all that they're holding in and all the feelings that they have to hold in throughout the day, but also because they don't have power and control. So that's the way that they take it out, you know? Mm -hmm. So just giving them little things, like what little things can they have control over throughout their day? Mm -hmm. Where can you give some power back? Yeah. Well, and um, to be very clear that we're not picking on Jen Hatmaker, um, I so a simple Google search of after school restraint collapse, you get articles from Today's Parent, Motherly, Care.com, psychology groups, you know, all, all any major publication. And it's all about here's how to help your child. And I have yet to see an article that says, tell the system to stop, stop the madness, write a letter to your principal and tell them to soften the first few weeks, ask them to show how they know a a classroom practice is developmentally appropriate. Like Mm -hmm. we just, we've normalized and accepted and it's like, oh, here's how to respond to it. But like, can't we, can't, can't we respond by just saying no? Yeah. Um, And then like, also like, I think a lot of people question if it's real and like, why can they keep it together at school, but then they come home and they're such a jerk or they collapse and, um, you know, parents don't necessarily see, or families don't necessarily see how they are that safe place for their kids. And so that's why they're Mm -hmm. collapsing when they do return home. Yeah. I mean, I think as parents, we can just decide, like, we're not going to participate in it. I mean, you can take your child out of school at one o'clock early, Mm. you know, you can bring them in later and let them sleep in. You can let them skip a day. Like if they're getting homework on the first week of school, that's not something you need to force Mm. (laughs) ever actually. Right. Ever. Iris Chen of Untigering just had a really great post about how to refuse homework. Yeah, if you are still in school. And it is hard because that access piece isn't there. Maybe everyone doesn't have the access to keep their kids home or stay late or get early. But it's something to think creatively about. And is there a neighbor, a family member who can help you with an early pickup, something like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess like how we can talk about now too, how it looks in an unconventional out of system setting is you know, like, so we have an SDE center and some kids and and kids come from for shorter days to begin with. Um, But we'd really talk to families about how these first few weeks, like you're going from being home and maybe you do do some kind of group learning or group camp or group um, activity over the summer, but it's not ever really going to look like a school setting. Um, So there's a lot of stimulation and a lot of sensory overload that can come with returning to group learning. So we talk about that, like, can you make space for shorter days? And if they can't, we do in the center, right? Like we require less of people. Our offerings are shorter. We don't offer as much. We just let people come in and settle and reconnect um, and reconnect with the space, reconnect with each other, reconnect with us. And that's enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've already had kids who say, I need a day off. And they mm-hmm. take a day off. Or they say, I need to show up today at 10 o'clock instead of 8.30. And, and we do that- have slower days. And it, who, how many kids made themselves like forts <laughs> the first week and just hid in the forts mm-hmm. and just needed to take a break from everyone? And that's perfectly fine the most popular item our first few weeks of returning to group learning settings has been the sensory socks 
and we actually added like 10 more, I think in the first, this uh, the second week after the first week, because if you don't know, if you're listening, you don't know what a sensory sock is. It's like literally a whole body sock. <laughs> it has a little space for your head to stick out, but it's, you know, it's a sensory stimulation, like a comforting, it gives you a little bit of light pressure. It helps you feel like you're in a cocoon. You feel very safe. You feel very cozy. Um, you tried on one. How did it feel to you? I love it. I wore it for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of feedback did it give your body? It just felt it, kind of like a, uh, so if you like weighted blankets, it's kind of like a weighted blanket, but without the weight. So it's kind of like a, a like a warm hug. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just nice, like too, if somebody needs a little space away from someone or you feel like overwhelmed, it's just a really good way to calm down your nervous system. And it also can provide a lot of comic relief. We saw two kids at once trying to get into (laughs) one. We saw kids doing all kinds of silly things in them. Some people realize how slippery they can be (laughs) walking around or going down a slide in one. Um, So yeah, I think that like rest is really important. Humor is really important. Acknowledging, like really just saying to like, I have a hard time with the first few weeks going back to school. It's a major Mm -hmm. adjustment for me too. And so acknowledging that and saying like, yeah, it's totally normal that you feel extra tired right now and and kind of helping check in. We usually do a midday meeting and have like a little bit of a um, brain breath body check-in and we can spend a few extra minutes doing that the first few weeks or month of school just to kind of like remind kids that they do have some agency over what they feel in their body. Um, Sometimes our environment can get really loud because we're also excited to be connecting back to each other and telling summer stories and sharing exciting things that have happened. So reminding everyone that there are places that you can take sensory breaks. We can have a quiet room, a relaxing room. You can build a fort, but there are options, right? Um, And I just think that's so important. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of parents these days themselves were in really intense school settings that used reward systems and probably experienced after school restraint collapse on their own in the, you know, nineties, early two thousands kind of thing, their parents now, Um, and so they might really think it's normal and just part of growing up. But I think the whole point of our conversation today is like to really question some of these things. And does it have to be part of growing up? Is it just part of life these days that you're going to have a full on meltdown every day after school for the first three months? Or do you think maybe we should recenter the relationship, right? Like really focus on who our children are as humans and see them as fully human and as fully um, deserving of respect and to really respect somebody is to look at them and and think about what, what they need to be not just thriving, but flourishing in this world. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing about the future that this, you know, a lot of people say like, well, they have to learn how to act in this setting or they have to be exhausted so that they can get through it because, you know, one day they're going to have to go to work from a nine to five (laughs) or whatever, but maybe they're not, maybe they're going to own their own business. Maybe that's a better fit for them. And maybe waking up at 11 every day is a better fit for them as an adult. Like it's okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, 
and who they are right now in this moment is what matters. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, whether it's, whether they're 18 and might be in the workforce in a year, five years, whatever, or they're five and might be in the workforce in 15, 20 years, like it doesn't matter. It's who they are right now in this Mm -hmm. moment. And I think, um, you know, we've talked about that, like in other episodes, you don't need a label. You don't need a diagnosis. You don't need a 504 plan or an IEP to be treated with respect and humanity first and and lead with love, lead with kindness. Um, and we can always give a little bit more. So it's, it's questioning the parts of the system that are, are causing this or are um, saying that this is normal because is it normal for one teacher to have to be in charge of 20 to 25 kids and then therefore rely on programs that, you know, focus on behavior management and not the person themselves. Yeah. It doesn't have to be normal, but we just have to start speaking up about it. Mm -hmm. So everyone listening, it's not normal. (laughs) It shouldn't be normal. Go ahead and, and ask the questions. Like I know a lot of people say like, it doesn't sit right with me or it doesn't feel right in my body. Like, well, there's a reason for that. So look into it and, and ask questions, just approach with curiosity and, um, and then also start to know your options because there is just such a wider array of options within education. And and most people feel like that childcare piece, the time that they need for the school day so that they can have a work day and know that their kid is safe is, is the point. But like, there are other options of all day care settings or all day learning settings that are not school settings that put the humanity first. So reach out to us if you want to hear more about that. If you have questions or you need help finding something in your area that could be an alternative um, to a a system that normalizes just the complete meltdown emotional meltdown um, of of young people every day. Any last thoughts? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for listening. And we'll be back again next week for another episode of out of line. Don't forget, you can go to playvolutionhq.com and receive 10% off of the um, resources there. They've got a lot of on-demand training, live trainings, Um, using the coupon code OOL for out of line at checkout. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you later. Bye. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.